Good morning, One Church. How y'all doing? Big welcome to you guys who are here. Also, a huge welcome to those who are watching this live uh, via the internet on uh, onechurchmedia.tv. I got uh, actually a text today, somebody watching us from Arizona. Somebody told me last week that there's a guy by the name of Bruce who watches us live in Turkey. So um, that's really cool. So I want to just say a huge shout out there. If you're listening to our podcast also, thank you so much for listening in. We're starting a new series entitled Revised, and it's all about stories. How many of y'all love a good story? Uh, Now, quick question. I I did this uh, first service. How many of y'all, there's two types of people in the world, those that love cats and those that hate it? No, that's actually um, but how many of y'all, you would prefer either reading a book or watching a movie? How many of y'all, you prefer watching a movie? All right, most of us. How many of y'all, you would prefer reading a book? All right, good. All right, so got some readers in here. Readers are leaders. I love good stories. And uh, there's something about, you know, watching a good story or reading a good story uh, about the main character and the conflict, how it really tugs at your heartstrings. Some of the best stories I, I've, I remember watching or reading is where you have that teen that was nobody, everybody just pretty much said there's no way they can be able to make it, there's no way they can win, and the underdog comes back and they win. I, I love the story where a lot of stuff gets blown up. Uh, those, that's always good stories because I'm a man. I also say that, but I like I like chick flicks. I'm just saying I'm out there. Some of you guys, you're like your man card needs to be revoked, and you may be right. But I like a good chick flick. All right, I really do. Uh, I love stories. Uh, I love co- uh, comedy stories. I was talking to a, a lady today, and she said her favorite movie is funny stories, comedy stories, and I love that as well. I love laughing. There's just something about a good story that pulls at our heartstrings, makes us laugh, makes us cry, and it causes us to root for the main character. And I don't care whether or not you're a Christian or a non-Christian or you're a churchgoer or not, what uh, uh, ethnicity or religion, we all are drawn to a good story. We all like listening and reading and watching a good story. There's something about the emotion and the conflict that happens. And you know, the cool thing about this is stories, what makes a good story is that there's, a, there's usually a conflict that happens. Sometimes it's internal, sometimes it's external, but watching that main character deal and wrestle with this conflict and then see how that main character overcomes the conflict, but yet is changed in the process. There's something about a good story that just pulls us in, sucks you in, and you're just like, you are, you are beamed in. I love good stories. For those people who know me the best, you know I love movies. I love going to watch movies. I love uh, watching, and I tell you, some of the best movies I've seen this year, I'm going to give you, uh, I'll give you my top three, but I really want to talk about one. Argo, if you haven't seen Argo, great movie of last year, all right? second one that I really want to kind of dive into do, and we're going to be looking at a little bit today, is a, a, a story called The Life of Pi. How many of y'all have ever seen that movie, Life of Pi? Not many of you. Really good movie. It's coming out on DVD in March. I'd encourage you to rent it, because the whole idea of this story, The Life of Pi, you see at the very beginning, Pi is this older gentleman. He's in his mid, uh, kind of in the midlife. He's 30s, 40s, and he's telling the story of what happened to him when he was younger, when he lived in India, and when his mom and dad decided to move their family business, which was a zoo, across the ocean. In fact, let's take a look at it right here. 
I was sitting in this coffee house, and this old man at the table next to me struck up a conversation. He said you had an amazing story. Let's see then. Where to begin? I was born and raised in one of the most beautiful places on earth. It was a time filled with wonder that I'll always remember. But when my family chose to move our zoo halfway around the world, that is when my greatest journey began. such a visually stunning story. And you know, I, as I sat there and I just watched it, I actually, I'm not a big 3D fan of like going to, but I saw it in 3D because that's the only thing they were offering in, and it just popped. It was really cool. What's so cool about this story and, uh, is that he gets to the end of the story, and you know how it ends because it starts at the beginning, a middle-aged pie is telling the story. You know he survives. But at the end of the story, he says, he recounts telling the story and the person he's telling to, he says, man, that's just really hard to believe. And Pa chuckles. He says, that's exactly what everybody has said that I've told my story to. In fact, when he gets, uh, when he gets rescued, when he's, uh, stranded, when he's been stranded floating in the ocean, when he finally washes up on sh- shore, everybody's asking what happened, what happened, what happened. And he's telling this story about him and a tiger and whales and, I mean, all of this stuff. And everybody's like, yeah, right. I mean, seriously, come on, we know you're just fudging this. I mean, tell us what really happened. I mean, it was so unbelievable what he experienced. It was so uh, extraordinary. It was so amazing. Nobody really believed Pi's story. And, and as the movie ends, you just kind of wrestle with it that, okay, which one are you going to believe? The real one, which is so amazing, or the one where he takes all the amazing parts out, and it's just like, eh. You know, here's the thing about this. As I was watching that movie, 
I wanted to, I want to live a story like that. A story that's so amazing. Live a story that's so extraordinary that people around me are scratching their heads and they're left wondering, did that really happen? I mean, Chris, I know what you're saying about what happened with you and your sons and your wife and how this came in and, I mean, and how God did this and that. But did that really happen? I want to live a story that leaves people scratching their heads and with their mouths gaping open going, what in the world? Are you serious? I want to live a story like that. And here's the thing. I think you want to live a story like that. But here is the reality that we bump into. I think most of us, our lives are so far from that that if we told the story of our life, most people would fall asleep in it. Right? I mean, you might even fall asleep telling your own story because it's so boring, it's so much in a rut, it's so predictable, it's so just blah that you just left. You wouldn't pay 11 bucks to go see your story on the screen. Right? You wouldn't. But here, I think all of us, we long to live a story that's a really big, awesome, amazing story. And that's where we're going to land today as we start this series entitled Revised. Revised. Because all of us, we need a change of stories. We need God to enter into our life and to change our stories in such a way so that we we see the visual effects of our lives just burst forth and everybody's just left going, did you just see that? Did you just see what God did in your life? Did you just see what God did in your children's lives, in your grandchildren's lives, in your spouse's life? We want to live a big story, and that's what we're going to be digging into today. We're going to be seeing Jesus' life and how Jesus' life intersects other people's lives and how their lives change, truly change. Webster defines revision or revise as this, a change or a set of changes that corrects or improves something, a new version of something to change the ending of a story. Today, we're going to be diving in and looking at a guy who drastically needed a revision in his life. We're going to be looking at a guy today who really did, really need a do-over. This person that we're going to be looking at had a lot of stuff, he had a lot of power, but yet he was empty. And even though he had all of his pockets full, his heart and soul was as empty as an empty can of a beggar that would hold. And as soon as I tell you this guy's name, you're immediately, especially those of you who grew up in church, you're going to go, okay, I got this. I got this story. I've heard this story. I've even sang a song about this story. All right? But before we dive into that, I want you to try to put yourself in the sandals, in the shoes of the guy in this story. Because I think so many times we get so, the the good news becomes just old news because we're so acclimated to it. I want you to put yourself in the crowd as we look at this guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, how many of y'all, when I heard Zacchaeus, you started singing a song? Come on, tell the truth, shame the devil, right? We're going to look at that song here in a minute because I hear he was a... Thank you. All right. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, let's dig into it. says this, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the, what does it say? 
chief tax collector, that's really important to know, in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but here's what we know about Zacchaeus, but he was what? He was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus he was trying to see, right? See, because that song, I'm just saying. Let's, go, let's, let's strip the Sunday school a little bit off of this, and let's look at this for the first time. Because Jericho was located 15 miles away from Jerusalem. Jericho, Jericho, this city, was known as the City of Palms because there was palm trees lined up there. It is the lowest city on earth, 1,300 feet below sea level. It's right next to the Dead Sea. All right, This city it was a huge, major uh, uh, source of commerce because it, this city was right on the crossroads of the largest and the biggest trade route of that day. I mean, everyone crossed through there. It didn't matter if you were going north, south, east, or west. You had to go through Jericho. Jericho had more commerce, more traffic, and more trade through that city than any other city in that day. It's the crossing of all of these major highways. I mean, imagine putting all the biggest interstate in the United States with the second biggest interstate, and right where they cross, that's where it's at. And that's where you would have Jericho. And because of this, because it was the, the greatest trade route through that time, it was also the most heavily taxed city in the entire region. And Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector. You remember what it said? He was the chief tax collector. He was the head honcho. I mean, let me tell you a little bit about tax collectors. These guys were bad news. They were operating under the authority of Rome, but when Zacchaeus was doing, uh, what he was doing was ripping his own people off and stealing from his own people. I mean, Zacchaeus was about as popular as Bill Clinton in a Republican National Convention, right? I mean, Zacchaeus, he is chief of all the tax collectors, which means he's the head of the Ponzi scheme. And let me tell you, in that day, taxes were simple. Any food that you grew, 10% of any food that you grew went straight to the Romans, all right? That's important because most people, they lived in an agrarian society and most people were farmers. Now, if you grew wine or oil or made them, one-fifth of all wine and oil went straight to the Romans. All right? 1% of your annual salary went straight to the Romans. There was a person tax for every male living in your household. I mean, those were set. Those were in stone, literally. And everybody knew those, but those were fixed. But what was up for debate was what you could tax for traffic and commerce. That's where Zacchaeus made his money. Because Zacchaeus, as he's going down the streets, he could take anything off of anybody's cart. He could pat anybody, per, any person down. And if it didn't matter if you had four wheels or six wheels or four axles or four hooves, he would tax it. All right, and, and, and he could charge whatever he wanted to charge. And when you had such a huge city of commerce and trade such as Jericho, the greatest tax, I mean, this city was the most taxed city in the region. And now he's the chief of all of the tax collectors. He is the wealthiest man. In fact, the Bible said he's very rich. And everybody knows how he got his money. Everybody. By working for the enemy. He, is, he has the full power and the authority of Rome. 
And whatever Zacchaeus wants from you, he gets. And if you tell him no, the next day some Roman officers will show up at your doorstep and they will take whatever they want. Now, tax collectors, I mean, he was a Jewish tax collector and he was extorting his own family and friends' money. So this did not make him popular by no means. Every Jewish person would have disowned him. He walked away from his family because of his profession. When the moment he signed the contract, he lost all of his friends, all of his family. In fact, get this, he lost even his religion because he was unclean. That's how his own people saw him. He could not go and worship in the temple in Jerusalem. He couldn't even go to his own synagogue in Jericho. He gave up on the whole God thing a long time ago. And all of God's people gave up on Zacchaeus and all the wealth that he could ever have and he's he's finally got he's got ever I mean he never he doesn't have to worry about anything he's got all of this stuff and nobody to spend it with because Zacchaeus is alone but we see Zacchaeus is running down main street we catch him and he's running now imagine he is in a three piece suit nice shoes and he's running down Main Street. I don't know about you, but guys don't run unless there's a scoreboard involved. Right? I mean, we just don't, or a big dog is chasing us. All right? I mean, and, and we are very competitive, and this guy isn't running because there's a scoreboard involved. What is happening? Why is he running? Well, Jesus is in town. Jesus. He's heard about this guy, Zacchaeus has. Jesus is an outsider. Jesus wasn't from Jericho, and that was a good thing because everybody in Jericho hated Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was trying to get close enough just to catch a glimpse of this guy by the name of Jesus. But the crowd, uh uh-uh, not going to have anything of it. The crowd is not going to let him in. I mean, okay, if you're one of the crowd, put yourself there now. You're one of the crowd. This guy has taken all of your baby's college fund. You ain't got enough money to put on the table because of this joker is driving his Mercedes chariot, right? I mean, this guy, I mean, he, I mean he, you have nothing and he has it all. And you can't, you can't do anything about that, but the one thing you can do is you ain't getting through this. You, you're not seeing this guy. There's a parade in town and all of them are like clenching arms, you know, and this dude's like, you know, trying to get through. Have anybody ever played Red Rover? Remember that? Right? This guy, everybody was holding on, and they were not letting Zacchaeus in. So what does he do? Well, the the verse that we just read, verse 4, he climbs a sycamore tree. I mean, Zacchaeus, who's so frustrated that nobody's willing to let him through, decides to climb a tree. Do you realize the humiliation of a businessman in a tree? I mean, seriously. I mean, that, not only that, but these guys, they, I said they wore suits, but they really didn't wear suits. They wore togas, all right? They wore a dress. Now, just hang out with me just for a sec, will you? This guy is in a toga, and he's climbing up in a tree, and everybody's going, how you doing up there, Zach? Right? Some of y'all heard he was a wee little man. I'm just saying. I know I shouldn't have said it, but I'm pumped. But I'm telling you, there's something... <laughs> I mean, the humiliation of him having to climb a tree, and he's wearing a toga. I mean, who who does stuff like that? 
Who in the world would put themselves through that type of humiliation? You know, there's a saying that says this, the higher the ape climbs, the more he shows his rump. And that's Zacchaeus, wearing a toga in a tree. (laughs) And Zacchaeus, I want to ask him, Zacchaeus, what do you know? What have you heard about Jesus that's willing to put you up in a tree and that's willing to just to endure this type of humiliation? What stories have you heard about this guy that is making you, that you're willing to say, you know what, I don't care what people see, I don't care what people think, I don't care, I've got to catch a glimpse of this rabbi. What has is, what is Zacchaeus heard about Jesus? Well, Zacchaeus, I think, heard that this guy, Jesus, was different. He heard that this guy, Jesus, yes, was a teacher, he was a healer, but instead of being like all the other religious people of that day, Jesus didn't exclude those who didn't have it all together. In fact, one of the scandals and the stories and the rumors that were going around is that Jesus loved hanging out with people who didn't have it all together. I mean, he actually hung out with blind people and crippled people. He actually would touch a leper. I mean, there's this, there's something to be said that, there, I mean, he actually hears that Jesus hangs out with prostitutes. What in the world? Good religious people, they would never do that. But Jesus, in fact, there's even this rumor going around. It's just a rumor that even one of his followers, one of his closest followers and friends was a tax collector. And maybe, if that's true, if these rumors are true, maybe, just maybe, Jesus would, would be able to see past all of the mess of Zacchaeus and actually befriend him. I think that's what he's hoping. I think that's what he's hoping. Zacchaeus is desperate. He has everything, yet he has nothing. Zacchaeus has become a financial success at the expense of everyone else. Zacchaeus has climbed the ladder of success only to find it was leaning up against the wrong wall. And Zacchaeus is more empty now, now that his pockets are full. He has used people as rungs by getting to the next spot. If anybody needs a change in their story, a revision of their story, it's Zacchaeus. And let me tell you, that is exactly what Zacchaeus gets. Because when Jesus enters your story... Everything changes. Look at what it says in verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and... Now, just imagine that moment. Don't go forward. Imagine this moment. Jesus is surrounded by the crowds. Everybody's pushing in. Everybody's wanting to get a, a healing touch from Jesus. Hey, Jesus, here's my baby. Will you bless my baby? Everybody's wanting something from Jesus. And Jesus... He stops. The crowd's still moving, but Jesus stops. And Jesus looks up into a tree. And he sees Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is looking at Jesus, and Jesus is looking back at Zacchaeus. And in that moment, as their eyes just, I mean, lock, and that gaze, it's like everything just slows down. And Zacchaeus doesn't see the crowd. Jesus doesn't hear the noise. It's like Jesus is looking into Zacchaeus' soul, and Zacchaeus feels open and transparent like glass. 
In that moment, in that moment, Jesus is looking into Zacchaeus, and this, as the rabbi looks into Zacchaeus' soul, he sees a short man growing up in a tall world. He sees Zacchaeus as a little boy growing up, and he's the brunt of jokes, and he's the object of stares, and everybody makes fun of Zacchaeus. Growing up as a kid, he's pushed around, and, and the tender part of Zacchaeus' soul dies under the, cru- under the cruel foot of tall people. And as Zacchaeus grows up, Zacchaeus, something changes inside of him. And he's no longer, he kind of laughs at the jokes made of him. And eventually, he starts getting angry, and he says, I'm going to show these people. I'm going to become a success. I'm going to become powerful, and they're going to have to look up to me. And in that moment, it just a millisecond, as Jesus and Zach, as they're looking into each other's eyes, it's like Zacchaeus knows all of that stuff in his past. Jesus sees it. He sees it all. And this is what it says. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and look what happened. And he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Stop right there. I mean, if I would have asked Zacchaeus that morning, hey, if you were going to hook up at Jesus and Jesus were to say anything to you, what would be the top ten things that you think Jesus would say to you, Zacchaeus? And he would probably hung his head. And, well, he would probably tell me I'm a crook and I'm, I'm a traitor. I mean, I think Jesus would have a lot of things to say to me. If you were to ask Zacchaeus, hey, Zach, if, if, if Jesus was going to call you a name in a crowd today, what name do you think he'd call you? <laughs> I could think of some four-letter names. I think everybody around me, Zacchaeus is thinking, I think Jesus would call me a, a crook and a traitor because that's what all of the other people of that day calls me. But Jesus doesn't go there. Jesus Jesus doesn't call him a crook or a traitor. He says he calls him by name. Jesus says, Zacchaeus. Jesus gives him worth. He's looking into his eyes, and Jesus doesn't see all of the labels. He sees something else with Zacchaeus. Keep on going. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, quick question. How many of y'all know the song, Zacchaeus? I'm not going to ask you to sing it, by the way. We're all thankful for that. Hang out with me, though. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He what? Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he was trying to see. Y'all need y'all know the hand motions, right? And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And help me with the hand motions here. What, what's the hand motions here, right? Zacchaeus? That's right. Now, how many of y'all know, you, maybe you grew up in church, and you, you, you've, you've, you know the hand motions right here. Zacchaeus, you come. Let's all do it together. Zacchaeus, you come down. Let me tell you, I think that's what a lot of people think that Jesus did. I think that is exactly what many of us in the church feel like that Jesus and what God does. He gives us a finger pointing. I mean, how dare you? Who do you think you are? But let me tell you, I don't believe Jesus did this at all. I think we need to change that. I think Jesus did something like this. Come on down. I want to hang out at your house today. 
You see, many of us, when we think of a God, we think of a God who's angry, who's ticked off, and who's doing a lot of this, a lot of condemnation. But what we see in this story, we don't see any condemnation of Jesus. We see Jesus wanting to have a relationship with a guy who didn't have it all together. That's huge. You see, most of us, that's not what we think about God in the church. We think, you know what, you better stop that. How did, do you know the way you look? I remember growing up in a church, and somebody recently told me that somebody showed up at a church in jeans, and that's all they had, and it's like this person said, you just need to walk out and leave. I mean, there's something about, I think we feel like there's a lot of this, but you know what, I think God gives us a lot of this. Come on. I don't care what you wear. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you do. Because I see something that's bigger than all of that. I love how Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He didn't see Zacchaeus in the label of a crook and a thief and a traitor and a swindler. Jesus saw Zacchaeus as God's thumbprint. Jesus saw Zacchaeus for who he really was. Not the label, but the label of a child of God. Let me tell you, Jesus sees sin for what sin really is. It's a foreign matter. Sin is not our true identity. That's the whole problem. We need people to identify with God's image in them. In fact, Paul explained it this way. In Romans 7, 17, he says, So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Let me tell you this. Let's, let's hang out here for a sec. When people identify themselves with their mess, which is not the real them, guess what they're going to act like? A mess. But when people identify themselves with the image of God, that God grants through them with the relationship of Jesus, they begin to act like what? An image of God, a child of God. It's all about their identity found in a relationship, and that's our big idea today. Our big idea today says this. To experience change, Jesus does not offer correction, but a relationship. To experience real change, Jesus does not offer correction, but a relationship. Now, again, I don't know what your church background is, but usually the average church flips that. They offer correction, and then if you change, then I'll begin a relationship with you. But Jesus wasn't like that. He offered the relationship first, and that's where real change happens. I think it's the reason why many of us, we've gotten frustrated that those who kind of bumped in and out of church because we felt like if we could just clean up our act enough, maybe they would accept us. Or maybe if, you know what, if I stop doing this and if I stop, you know, then maybe, you know, maybe God would like me. And God's saying, I don't like you, I love you. And I am offering a relationship to you now when you're at your worst. Romans 5.8 says this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That when you were on your worst day, God loved you the most. I love that. Relationship was and still is Jesus' solution to sin. I mean, that's huge. It starts with a relationship. i can give you this. Uh, when I was in uh, my very first youth pastorate job was in Dallas, Texas while I was in seminary. A church called Spring Creek Community Church. And I'll never forget, I ended up going in there, and there was 14 youth. I remember that. 
I was 14 youth, and I came in, I talked on one Wednesday night, and then they all, after the talk, they all went outside and they all grabbed a cigarette and started smoking. Now, what you need to know about me, I grew up in church, okay? And I thought I was going to be killed. Just to be honest with you. And let me tell you, and, and it's not just the whole cigs was it. There was, they had cut, some of them had cut pentagrams into their arms. They all talked about dropping acid. Um, they, I mean, they just, they were so far out there. And, and I'm just going, oh my gosh, OMG. This is before texting. Nobody even knew what that was, right? And, 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 and I'm thinking, do, do I take this job? I mean, I mean, these people are really, they're really, str- I mean, they're out there, right? And I thought, you know, okay, I'm, I was pretty desperate, so I took the job. And, 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 and then I had a, and they took me, and I, I had a quandary. What am I going to do now? Because I had a choice. I could give them a lot of correction. Hey, you need to stop cutting on yourself. You need to stop purging. You need to stop smoking cigarettes. You're not even 18 yet, right? You need to stop dropping acid, all right? I had this one kid, because uh, they knew nothing about the Bible. I just started in Genesis. I started teaching. And I'm in Genesis 2 and 3, and talking about how God made everything, and it was good. And you could, t- t- you know, have all the trees, but you can't, you know, touch this one tree, you know, remember, you know. And, and this guy comes and says, hey, dude. He says, you know how the Bible says that all these trees were good? Yeah. And, uh, but this one tree wasn't, yeah. Well, if, if we could eat all the other trees, can't we, like, smoke them? Because I, I love marijuana. And I'm, like, going. And, I, you know, I, in, in a way, I applauded the dude because at least he's reading his Bible. Interpretation is way off. But at least he's reading his Bible, right? And I remember these, these, these folks would say four-letter words that would make me blush. And, in fact, then I would ask, what, is that, what, what did you say? What does that even mean? I mean, they would instruct me, and, and, and then I would get even more red. And I'm like, oh, my Lord, right? I, I, now, I said, this is true. I mean, I, 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 would, I would have done anything to just get those guys, those ladies, just get into God's Word. And they, many of them did. And they traded in their F words for maybe some S words. And you know what I'm talking about? And I, I, I seriously, and, and, and don't try not to judge me on this. I would say, you know what, that's a better choice of language. Because at least I, they were making small, but he said, here's the thing. I could have just went in there and said, you need to stop this. You need to put that away. All right? You need to zip this up. You need to stop injecting. You need to stop. And then I, I could have done that and then done the relationship. But I knew that wasn't the right thing to do. So what I did is I went in there and it got messy. It was just messy. But what I did is I built a relationship with them, and my goal was to introduce them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you, true change happens not by just giving correction. True change happens when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If he gets this in here, he will eventually get this and this and this and whatever else you're doing with your body. All right? You will change. But it all starts with the relationship. Let's keep on going. Let's keep on digging in. Verse 6. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. So how did Zacchaeus respond to Jesus' invitation? With great excitement and joy. I like that. Jesus gives an invitation and he responds. And Jesus is willing to get messy with this guy. And it ticked everybody off. In fact, that's what it says in verse 7. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be with the guest of a notorious sinner. 
they grumbled. Jesus' willingness to hang out with Zacchaeus ticks a lot of people off. Jesus, who claimed to be holy, righteous, godly, why in the world is he hanging out with unrighteous, unholy, and ungodly people? I mean, Jesus, what in the world? We're all here, we're all wanting to get something from you, and Jesus is saying, I want something for someone else. And Jesus is willing to get down in the mud and the mess of Zacchaeus' life, and that ticked everyone off. And it still does today. Why would Jesus do that? Let's get to the end of the story. Look at verse 10. It says this. For the Son of Man, Jesus is saying, is come to keep happy those who are found. Is that what it says? No. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are what? Lost. What does that mean, translation? God, the apple of God's eye, are people who aren't in this building. And let me tell you, if you're in this building and you're like, I don't really get this whole Jesus God thing, Jesus is like, oh my gosh. Now here's the thing, some of y'all, that offends you because you're like, I'm a Christian. Let me tell you, you're the apple of God's eye too because guess what? There was a time when you were outside. You didn't believe. All right? You, you, You were all jacked up. You were sniffing, smoking, doing whatever you were doing. Right? And you know what? God loved you even then. God's focus is the lost. Our focus should be the lost. Our focus should always be on reaching people, not just making us feel comfortable. That's huge, because that's what was Jesus' mission. Let's keep on going. Keep on diving in. This is getting really good. All right? Verse 8. Look at how much Zacchaeus changed, not because Jesus gave him a three-point sermon on you should stop stealing, but because Jesus offered him a relationship. Look at how Zacchaeus changes. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord. Even if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Keep that verse up there. How many times does the word Lord appear in that verse? Twice. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, all right? Lord, if I have cheated people. <laughs> I don't know what Jesus and Zach talked about over that, over that dinner, but because of the relationship, because Jesus was willing to get messy with Zacchaeus, there's something happened in Zacchaeus' life. He has changed. He has changed. And that's cool because it wasn't over a sermon about you should stop stealing. Zacchaeus changed because Jesus offered a relationship. Let me tell you, how Jesus works back then is the same way Jesus works today. You're not going to be changed because I'm going to make you feel guilty about something. It's just not going to happen. Let me tell you, it didn't happen that way with me. I was changed when somebody introduced me to a God who was madly in love with me. Not mad at me, but madly in love with me. And loved me just the way I am. In fact, how many of you, you grew up in church and you sang the song, Just As I Am? Come on, seriously. That's many of us. That's how Jesus loves us. He's not this. He's this. Come on home. Come on home. Now, here's what's so cool. When, when you be, begin that relationship with Jesus, did Zacchaeus change? Yes. I mean, he got serious. He started getting some envelopes saying, I got to pay some people back. I, I've got to, I got to make right with some stuff that I've done that's made wrong. 
You see, this is so amazing. We can preach all the sermons about stop, 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 and nothing changes. We introduce you to Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. Your life will become revised. And he will make a big story out of your life. Zacchaeus was changed by a relationship with Jesus. That's huge. All right? Now, I want to give you three principles. Three principles of looking at this today. First one is this. How can your story be revised first? Following Jesus starts with seeing Jesus. So many of us come and we want Jesus to do something for us in our life before we have any clue of who he really is in our life. Before you can, before you can experience what Jesus can do for you, you have to see Jesus. That's exactly what happened with Zacchaeus. I mean, I grew up in a church, again, that talked a lot about the Bible and, and how God dislikes sinners. And, I, and, of course, I just immediately think, well, God dislikes me. And yes, God dislikes our sin, but he loves us. And he doesn't see us for our sin. Some of you, you have problems with addictions, you have problems with relationships, you have problems with gossiping, and we see ourselves as an as a addict, as a gossiper, as a liar, and God's like, that's not who you are. That stuff is foreign matter. I see the thumbprint of God on you. That's huge. So we have to see Jesus. Secondly, real salvation means real change. Real salvation means real change. And again, you may have grown up in a church where, you know what, you pray this magic prayer and, you know, now we'll baptize you and everything's good and you're good. You're, you're good. But if nothing changes in your heart and life, then you have not met Jesus. Real salvation means real change. That's huge. So some of you are in here, you're like, man, I'm good. I grew up, whatever denomination, Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Methodist, whatever it is, I got baptized, I got my beads, I got whatever, and you think, I'm good to go. But no, what you have is religion, because religion doesn't change, change you. Only a relationship with Jesus will change you. And third, and lastly, real change means righting past wrongs. I could just stop there because some of you, just as Zacchaeus got those envelopes and he stashed money into them and he would knock on people's, who is it? Zacchaeus? Oh, dear Lord, what does that swindler want? They open up the door. Hey, uh, here's your envelope. I want to let you know uh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he closes the door. He open, they open it up. What did he give you? An eviction notice? No. <clears throat> oh, you, oh my gosh. We got our kids' college money back. Do you think Zacchaeus really experienced change? You betcha. Because he righted past wrongs. Some of you, you need to leave here today and you need to get on the phone. You need to, you need to reach out and touch somebody. And you need to say, listen, I'm sorry I said this about you. I'm sorry that this happened. I forgive you. Will you forgive me? And you need to right past wrongs. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you know what? If you're worshiping at the temple and you remember somebody has something on you or you got a problem with somebody, you're to leave your sacrifice and you need to go 
Hang out with that person. Some of you, you need to have a conversation with your couple, as you, with your spouse as you leave here. Hey, listen, I've been doing this. I've been cheating on you on the side, and I am wrong. Please forgive me. Let's go to counseling. Let's do whatever it takes, but I am willing, and I see something in you, and I see something in me that God wants me to be better, but it's not going to happen because I try harder. It's going to happen because I want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. He can change you, and he could do it today. Are you willing to let him do you? To change you? Are you willing for your story to be revised? I want to, last question. Are you living that big story that we talked about? If you're not, let God change you. Because he can. And you sit back, and your mouth is going to go. Because he's going to do some really amazing, cool things with you because you're willing to obey him. Let's pray.